All right. Whoop. Here we go. Here we go. Wasn't that good tonight, y'all? <clears throat> Thank you guys so much. All right. All right, awesome. Thank you all so much, and good to see each of you here tonight. What a crowd for a Sunday night. Crowd for any time, I guess. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Luke, chapter 7. I'm excited about tonight. This is a, uh, I just love this passage. I was able to preach it, or just teach it a while back. We had a I don't remember what it was, some type of event. We just had a quick devotion, and we looked through this passage, and I'm excited tonight to dig a little deeper uh, through it because it is a rich, rich passage. We've been looking for the last several, several weeks or months now, encounters with Christ. Uh, through our time, we have seen, many times, we have seen the religious. We have seen the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious group of the day. Uh, these are the folks who knew a lot about God. In fact, if you were to play, uh, remember those old games like Godopoly? I remember ever seeing that game? Godopoly or Bible Trivia or Bible Jeopardy, any of those games. These are the guys you would want on, their, on your team. They knew a lot about God. They knew a lot about the scriptures. But Matthew 15, 8 says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That is a good description of many of the religious in the day of Jesus. And I'm convinced it's a good description of many uh, churchgoers today. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is a long way from me. They knew all about God. They knew all about the things of God, but they never really knew God. They never surrendered their hearts. They didn't really know him. There was a lot of knowledge, but there was not much intimacy and we get a good example of that this evening. Look at Luke chapter 7. Let's read it, and then we will go through it together. Look at verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, Lord. He goes on, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, You have judged rightly. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
And then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee named Simon. Most likely, Simon invited Jesus. Jesus had been in town. He had been teaching. He had been preaching. He had been proclaiming the truth of Scripture, proclaiming the principles of the kingdom of God. And so, as a religious man, he would oftentimes invite the teaching man, the teacher, over to his home for supper. It was a common thing, and so probably on this day, he felt obligated to have Jesus into his home. Jesus should have been the guest of honor. Jesus should have been well-received. He should have been well-respected. But as we look at the passage, we realize that none of these things happened. There's, there's three things that are mentioned. One, when someone would come into your home, you would greet them with a kiss. If it was someone of equal value, you would welcome them into your home and you would give them a kiss on the cheek. If it was someone of high value, you would come in and you would kiss them on the hand. It was a way like today we will shake hands or we will say hello or we will wave at someone. The picture is that Jesus comes into the home of Simon and Simon totally ignores him. Simon doesn't come over and give him a kiss on the cheek. He doesn't give him a kiss on the hand. He doesn't do anything. It would be today like someone coming into your home and you don't speak. You don't give the little head nod. You don't do anything to recognize their presence. The next thing we see and that we know is during this time period... They would be walking down the streets. If it was dry, their feet would be dusty. If it was wet, their feet would be muddy. And so when they entered into someone's home, if it was someone of great value, great respect, the, the host would kneel down and take some water and wash the person's feet. If not that, he would have his servant kneel down and wash the person's feet. But at the very minimum, at the very least, they would provide a basin of water and a towel so that when the individual came in the door, they could wash their own feet. But Jesus comes into the home of Simon, and he is not offered anything to wash his feet. A third gesture was to come into one's home, and if it was a, a nice occasion, they would give oil to anoint the head of the individual. But Jesus comes into the home of Simon, and there is no kiss of a greeting, there's no washing of the feet, and there is no oil for his head. And so Jesus comes in, and he was totally ignored, and he was totally insulted. Now, here's the kicker. The irony of this is that Simon had built his life around studying the scriptures of God. By the time he was 12, he probably had memorized the first 12 books of the Bible. By the time he was 15, it's likely that he had memorized the entire Old Testament. By the time we meet him, he had, he had memorized, he had placed in his heart more than 300 prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. But we find him in this setting, and he is sitting across the table from Jesus. He's sitting across the table from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he has no idea, he has no clue whose presence he is in. He's in the midst of the Savior of the world, and he didn't even know it. 
So I want you to see he had lots of knowledge. He had lots of knowledge. He had lots of scriptures. But that does not mean that he had a relationship. We all want knowledge, but what about the intimacy? In churches, we can do this. We can have so many studies, and we can have so many workbooks, and we can have so much curriculum, and we can have so much memorization, and we can have so much of this and so much of that. But if there's no relationship, I want to tell you that it's done in vain. The point is you can have it all without a relationship. Now, there's no doubt when there is intimacy, there will be knowledge. My wife and I have been together a long time. You laugh. It seems like a long time to me, Vernon. (laughs) How long have we been together? Huh? 16 years. That's a long time. got to explain myself here we've been together a long time 16 years and I can tell you this I have a lot of knowledge about this woman I can tell you what kind of shampoo she uses on her hair every single day I can tell you when we go to which restaurant I know before she opens her mouth what she's going to order I know what kind of snacks that she likes to eat and they change when she's pregnant I've seen that I know what she likes to drink I know what makes her excited, and I know what embarrasses her. I know what stresses her out, and I know what she adores and she loves with all of her heart. I know the the deepest things about her that nobody else will ever know, and I know them. I know what makes her joyful, and I know what makes her sad and what makes her cry. I know every detail about her life, not because I have to, but because I love her. Because I spend time with her. Because she is a large part of my life. You see, that is where knowledge should come from. It's not that we have to know about God. It's not that we come to church because I've got to learn more and I've got to know more. It's because I'm so in love with God. I want to know more and I want to know more and I want to know more and I want to know more. It's that we're so in love with God. I don't open his word out of obligation, but I open his word because I want to know more. It comes out of this relationship that we keep longing for more and for more and for more. I think one of the words we see in the Bible is the word, it's fun to say, it's the word yada. Yada is a Hebrew word, and it's very simple. It just means to know. It just means to know. That's what it means. But it means a little more than just to know. It's found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. You don't have to flip there. But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, obviously it's early in the Bible. My translation says that Adam knew his wife. If you have an NIV Bible, you will see that it says that Adam lay with his wife Eve. So what it's talking about, it means to be known and to be completely known by someone. And so it's saying that Adam knew his wife. Now in this context, I don't giggle teenagers, but it's talking about a sexual context. It's saying that Adam knew his wife, he knew his wife intimately, and he knew his wife sexually. Now, get this. There are other words in the Hebrew language that, that mean sex. I don't want to go too much into this because I've got my parents and my in-laws sitting, sitting real close. <clears throat> but here's the point. You can have sex and not have intimacy. There are Hebrew words that talk about sex for procreation. There's words for that. But here when it says yada, it says that Adam knew his wife. 
It says that Adam was intimate with his wife. And what I want you to see is that all throughout the Bible, it says that God wants to yada us. Now, what that means is that God wants to know us, and God wants to know us intimately. There's an Old Testament scholar, and he takes this word yada, and he says what it really means is it means that there is a mingling of the souls. It means that there are two people, and they know each other so well that their souls are mingled together. It is this connection. And so many times in the Bible, you will see it, it's referring to a sexual act because in marriage, and only in marriage, that is to be where we come together and there is a great intimacy. And so what it's saying is that we want to know God in this deep, intimate level. It means that God wants to know us in this deep, intimate level. It says in Psalm 139, this word is used about half a dozen times. It says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether. And then he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It's the same word. It's saying, God, you know me. You know me deeply. You know me intimately. You know every detail of my life. And so you say, what does God want out of us? What does God want out of me? What does God want out of you? He wants us to know him in a deep and an intimate way. Not just knowledge. Not just that we know the Bible stories. Not just that we can quote off some scripture. But there's more to it. There's a heart that is longing after the things of God. And when we get to Luke chapter 7, and we meet Simon, we see a man who had all the knowledge. He had all the details. He had all the Bible stories. He had every answer to every question you might ask him about theology, but he's sitting a few feet away from Jesus, and he has no clue about it. He is lost. He's lost. There are people all over our churches, all across America, and they come in week after week, and they have lots of knowledge, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the woman. Let's look at the woman. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now I want you to notice, the woman does not say a word. In the Bible, she does not say a word, but her actions speak volumes. Her actions are what speaks. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is at the table. They didn't use chairs. They would recline at the table, and the feet would be pointing back away from the table. And so you picture there's this low-standing table, and there's these people gathered around the table, and they're propped up on their elbow, and they're having supper, they're having a meal together, and all of a sudden, things begin to get awkward. All of a sudden, things begin to get uncomfortable. The Bible says a woman comes in. Now, they're probably in a, a courtyard area, and so they look over in maybe the gateway, and this woman comes in. And it's not just any woman. How did the Bible refer to her? 
She's a sinner. What it probably means, what most uh, theologians believe, is that she is maybe the prostitute of the town. She is a known sinner. She's the sinner that when you see her on the street, you want to get on the other side. You don't want to be seen with her. You don't want to have any contact with her. She is a woman that you want to stay far, far away from. And so she comes in to the scene. I don't know what brought her in. Maybe she was listening earlier that day, and maybe she was listening as Jesus began to teach. And maybe she heard Jesus teach on forgiveness. And as she listened and she heard Jesus speak about forgiveness, she realized that, that there's, there's something in her life and that she could be forgiven of her many sins. Maybe she listened as Jesus spoke that day and Jesus spoke on redemption. And she realized that God could take her life and put all the broken pieces back together again. Maybe it wasn't what Jesus said. Maybe she was walking by that day as he taught, and Jesus looked, and he caught her in the eyes, and he looked at her in a way like no one else had ever looked at her before. Maybe Jesus looked at her in such a way that, that showed her that she had value and that she had worth in her life. Maybe something happened that day, and she realized that God had a plan for her life and that God had not given up on her. And maybe she whispered to herself that day, maybe it's not too late for me. Maybe there can be a different ending to my story. Maybe there can be a different ending to my life. And so she was desperate to see Jesus. Later on in that day, maybe she overheard some folks talking. And they were talking about Jesus. And one of them said, you know what, I, I know where Jesus is. He went to Simon's house. You know, the Pharisee, Simon, he's at, he's at the house with Simon. And she heard that, and in her heart she said, I've got to see him again. I've got to spend just a little bit more time with Jesus. And so she goes, and she goes into a place that normally she would never go into. She would never be invited. She would never be welcomed in the home of Simon. But on this day, she didn't matter. And so she walks in to the place, and as she does, everybody begins to watch, and everybody gets real quiet, and they begin to think to themselves, what is this woman doing? This woman is not invited. What is she doing? Why is she here? And she continues to walk in. She's reckless. She's impulsive. It's inappropriate, but it's the exact kind of love that Jesus wants out of every single one of us. And as she comes in and she looks around, she sees the eyes and she sees the judgment and she sees the glares and she sees the people that won't even look her in the eye and they just look down. And then maybe she looks over and she catches the eye of Jesus. And when she looks in the eyes of Jesus, he gives her a smile. And he gives her that, that warm look. That warm look because she is welcomed and because he is glad that she's here. The eyes of a loving father watching his beautiful daughter as she enters into the room. She had probably not experienced a look like that in a long, long time. And so the Bible says that she comes in and tears begin to fall from her eyes. Tears begin to roll down her cheeks. And so she begins just to, to fall to the ground. And as she falls to the ground and the tears are falling, she notices that they begin to fall on the feet of Jesus. And she sees that, that his feet are, are dirty. There's dirt, there's mud, there's clay on them. Nobody took the time to clean his feet. 
And so her tears are falling on his feet. And so she doesn't have a towel. She's not going to ask one of, one of these other people for a towel. And so she takes her hair and she lets her hair down. And you've got to realize in this culture, the only time a woman would let her hair down is in the privacy of her home with her husband. She wouldn't do it. But in this setting, she's got to find something to clean his feet with. And so the tears are falling, and she takes her hair, and she takes it down, and she begins to dry his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. And in that moment, everybody begins to gasp. They can't believe what she's doing. They cannot believe what they're watching. They cannot believe this woman is doing this. And then the Bible says she takes out some, some perfume. She was probably wearing a little vial around her neck. And she would take it, and day after day, she would take just a tiny drop, and she would put it on her neck. Day after day after day. But on this occasion, she doesn't take a drop of it. She begins to take the whole thing out. And she pours the whole thing out. She doesn't need it anymore. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is valuable. Jesus is incredible. And so she is demonstrating the ultimate sight of love. And she's just showing how much she loves Jesus. Drop by drop, she pours out the whole thing, her life on his feet, and she kisses them over and over and over again. And Simon's watching. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." Simon is watching this, and he comes to a conclusion. Number one, he comes to this. If Jesus were really a prophet, if Jesus were really from God, he would know what type of woman this is. Number two, if he knew what type of woman this is, he would not let this woman touch him. And number three, since he's letting this woman touch him, Jesus cannot be a prophet. And so in his mind and in his heart, he's saying, I told you so. I knew it all along. This man is a phony. This man is a fake. This man is not real. He is not true, and he is not genuine. And then the Bible answers Simon. Now, it's interesting because you'll notice Simon didn't say anything. What did Simon do? He was thinking. He was thinking to himself, but this is Jesus. He knows what we're thinking. And so Jesus begins to answer the question on his heart. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Look at her. Do you see this woman? Listen, Simon, I entered into your home. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, from the time she came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And he says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus did not overlook her sin. He knew that her sins were many. But she came, and she came with seeking forgiveness, and she came with surrender, and she found salvation. And so the question for every one of us this evening is simply this. Who are you in the story? I believe 
most, if not all of us, are one of the two. And I can say that because this is a Sunday night crowd. Most people do not go to church on Sunday nights. And so this is a religious crowd. My question is, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? I'm not asking how much Bible you know tonight. I'm not asking how many scriptures you've memorized. I don't really care right now. I'm not asking how many times you've been to church. I'm not asking how much money you've given. I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you only know about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the answer to those two are extremely different. And if it's just true in our life that we only know about Jesus, then we're lost just like Simon. But oh, to have the the spirit of this woman, the spirit that comes in and says, I am overwhelmed because I have much sin and I have been forgiven much sin. You know what's really sad? It's sad that we lose excitement over that. It's sad that we lose excitement over the fact that our sins have been washed away. It's sad that we lose excitement over the fact that we were lost and headed to hell, but now we're saved and headed to eternal life with God. It's sad that we are not excited about that. And so the question is real simple. Are you the woman or are you Simon? I want to ask you to close your eyes and just think about that inside your heart. Only you know. I I don't know. I don't know your life. You don't know my life. But are you sure, without a doubt, that you've got a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? As you look at your heart and you look at your life, do you know that? And do you know it without a doubt? And maybe you're here, most of us, we're here and we know that we're saved. But I want you to notice one more thing from our text. I want you to notice that Jesus spent time with the lost. Every time we see the religious, they, they begin to mock and they begin to make fun of Jesus because he is spending time with sinners. He's spending time with the lost. He's not hanging out with the religious, he's hanging out with the lost sinners. And it's easy for us to to get the mindset and to get the attitude that we're just going to hang out with with other believers and with other Christians. And we should have friendships and relationships and great love with with other believers. But if we never go into the darkness, how are we to be the light? If we never invite a lost family into our home, how do we share Christ? If we never spend time in the world, how do we share the joy that we have found? We're to be a people who go and we shine the light in the darkness. We shine it around town. We invite them to church. We welcome them here in our church. Do we see sinners as who they are? Or do we see them as what they could be? Do we see them in their lostness? Or do we have hope of the amazing grace that can transform their lives? There's somebody that you know this week. And they need to hear the story of Jesus. They need to experience the power of Jesus. But for us to do that effectively, we must get involved in their life. Jesus got involved with the lost world. So are you the Simon or the woman? God, we thank you for this time. Thank you so much for these who have come. 
uh, tonight. Lord, I'm so grateful for, for this church and uh, these great men and women. Lord, I pray that you've challenged us. I pray that you've shown us tonight, God, that it's not about what we know. It's not about our knowledge, but it's about our devotion to you. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who is lost, anyone here who is not sure they have a relationship with you, I pray they'll talk to one of us before they leave tonight. And, Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we will strengthen our devotion and we will love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, God, with everything that we are. Lord, thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're about to be blessed because the kids' praise is going to come in and lead us in a song. And while they're coming, let's go ahead and get announcements out of the way. Uh, you know the activities of the week. We've got uh, regular activities going on Wednesday, so hope you'll be here for choir and church and youth and all that. Thursday, the big rally, so make plans to go with us on that and then back here again on Sunday. All right. Any other announcement that we missed? All right. Miss Susan? Yeah, we can do that. Great job, y'all. That is awesome. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Max, you want to pray for us? No? How about a, you want to pray? Mason, come here. You want to pray for us? Come here, Mason. All right, Mason's going to close us up here.
Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Amen. Amen. Good job, buddy. Good job. All right. Thank you, guys.